Welcome to another Griffith University podcast. Welcome to this session of the GI seminar. Um, it's my um, great pleasure today to introduce and to have a Professor uh, Liu Zhi from Peking University here to give us a talk. Uh, Professor Liu is an expert in urban planning, infrastructure, and his financing. And when looking at his uh, resume, I think so dazzling one. Um, he was trained as a PhD uh, from Harvard. Uh, and since then, he, ha he has um, taken various uh, teaching and adversary positions, both in universities and in government and international institutions, particularly from World Bank. Um, his topic today is uh, urban housing challenges in China. Uh, I think in, uh, it's a highly, highly uh, discussed topic in China. Also here in Australia, um, the latest news, we got the big jump in local housing prices here in Brisbane. So uh, I can't wait to see uh, your take on what's happening in China on this uh, issue. So okay. please, thanks. All right. Uh, thank you very much. And I'm very pleased uh, to have this opportunity and to share uh, some thought about China's uh, urban uh, housing challenges. And I guess uh, you uh, know China quite well, and perhaps the housing sector. But anyway, and I uh, make this preparation, and the objective is to uh, introduce the uh, housing challenges uh, from several different perspectives, so we could have some, and, uh, perhaps uh, some understanding uh, I mean, uh, a bit more insight about why the Chinese housing issues are so uh, puzzling. Huh? And we read a lot of things about uh, the housing market in China from, uh, let's say, New York Times, uh, Financial Times, uh, Wall Street Journal. So even the economists uh, often talk about uh, China's housing uh, challenges from time to time. So here, maybe what I'm uh, telling you uh, not any secret, um, and you may uh, know this already, but I try to bring the things together, and, and then uh, hopefully uh, I also get the opportunity to have some uh, interaction uh, with you, and so that we can also uh, learn something uh, from you. My colleague, uh, Dr. Li Jia, uh, is also a housing specialist, and he also uh, uh, has carried out some uh, research uh, on Chinese housing issues uh, as part of his uh, PhD uh, degree he uh, faces. And now before I uh, get to my uh, presentation, I would first tell you a bit about the Lincoln Institute of Land Policy and also the Peking University uh, Lincoln Institute Center for Urban Development and uh, Land Policy. Now, the Lincoln Institute of Land Policy is a U.S. Um, research institution. Uh, it's a privately owned uh, research foundation. And the name of Lincoln is not Abraham Lincoln. And it's John C. Lincoln. And John C. Lincoln, is a, uh, he was an industry, uh, industrialist and inventor uh, back uh, half a century ago. He passed away in the uh, late 50s. And he was the inventor of the welding machine, uh, which we use to build buildings uh, everywhere. And today, the Lincoln Electric 
uh, is a company of the family that still manufacture uh, welding machine uh, all around the world. And he uh, politically, John C. Lincoln was a follower of uh, Henry George. And you may know the classic uh, book written by Henry George, and uh, Poverty and Progress. And he looked into the land issue and tried to explain why in the U.S. when the uh, uh, industrialization uh, led to the rapid uh, accumulation of uh, wealth in the country. And, but at the same time, people's uh, wage uh, did not grow as fast as uh, and, uh, the, the, the growth of uh, the economy. That sounds familiar today. It's Thomas Piketty, right? And so he, he looked at the production system and you know, the input is capital and labor and land. So he finds uh, capital is expanding, so interest rate keep more or less the, uh, stable. And then uh, the wages uh, remain uh, the, the low and steady uh, for the low-skilled labor. But the rent for land increased a lot. Uh, so he, he thought that this is a root cause for many uh, social economic uh, problems. But then how to deal with it, he came up with a very radical idea. It's a single tax on land. So if you, for an economy, all the taxes would deter economic activities. So not very good. But uh, a government can uh, only tax land without taxing any other things. So very radical idea today, low one, low, low one country uh, implemented this idea. But the book remains in, uh, to be a classic in political economy. And, and today, the books uh, get uh, reread by many people because of the, uh, the Thomas Piketty. And John C. Lincoln was a political follower of uh, Henry George. And he himself put a lot of uh, his own, his wealth into land in Arizona. And then he discovered he actually made a bigger fortune from the land than the fortune he made from his industry uh, invention. So he created the Lincoln Foundation to support uh, the academic research on uh, land issue and land policy. Because if you, the world did not really understand uh, land enough. And so this Lincoln Foundation eventually uh, evolved into the Lincoln Institute. So today, the Lincoln Institute uh, is one of the premier institutions that specialize in land and land-related finance issues. So property tax and land policy is the uh, hallmark of uh, our uh, research in the Lincoln Institute. And 10 years ago, the Lincoln Institute um, expanded the research coverage to China and created the center at the Peking University. So myself uh, served as the uh, director for uh, the China program for Lincoln Institute and also the director for the center. So physically, I'm based in Beijing and working on uh, the China issues. So this is the uh, background. Now, and you may also question uh, why I uh, moved from the World Bank uh, to the Lincoln Institute. Just very simple. Uh, one of my mentors in the World Bank uh, retired from the World Bank and was picked up by the Lincoln Institute. So he was the past uh, president of the Lincoln Institute. Uh, when the Peking University position was open, and I was in China, I mean, by 
uh, oversee assignment uh, from the World Bank and was ready to move back to the headquarters in Washington, D.C. But Greg Ingram called me and said, here is the position. And if you don't want to go back to Washington and stay in Beijing, so that's how I moved to the uh, Lincoln Institute. It's really a coincidence, and I, I uh, terminated my professional career uh, in the World Bank and moved into the uh, PKU, and so I've been on this job uh, for the uh, last uh, four years. Now, our center in Beijing is uh, quite a small one, and we have uh, about uh, 12 uh, staff. And, but we have uh, also a dozen of uh, graduate students. We have a uh, master degree student, PhD student, and postdoctoral uh, research fellows. And so uh, we have a small team, but we function like a platform uh, to link up with a large network of international and domestic uh, scholars who uh, carry out uh, research on China's urban development and, and the policy. And we focus on a few thematic areas, and property tax and municipal finance, uh, urban development and planning, land policy, housing policy, and environmental policy and conservation. So these are our thematic areas. But we uh, look into the issues in these thematic areas from the angle of land. So this is the, and uh, I think this is the identity of our. Uh, institute and the center. And then uh, in terms of program, we provide uh, fellowships uh, to international and domestic uh, scholars for research on an uh, urban issue and then the issue, financial issue uh, in China. And then we uh, provide the training uh, to government and also to university, uh, the young faculty members of the universities across China so they can and, uh, keep up with the academic research uh, flat and, uh, in different uh, topics. And we also serve as a, a think tank uh, for the Chinese central government and local government. And we uh, serve as an academic exchange center uh, at the PKU. So some of the great uh, university faculties uh, visit our we center. And they stay in our center as a visiting scholar for a while, and Professor Dali Lo Choi from the School of Environment and, and City Planning, and he's, uh, he worked with us uh, uh, for quite a while until his retirement. And then we also uh, have our uh, line of publication, and we publish books, and we also disseminate international knowledge uh, that are relevant to the uh, reform in China. So housing is a uh, uh, big topic uh, in China today. And here, I, I, what I'm going to do is to uh, uh, run through my uh, PPT. And then hopefully, we would have uh, some like a half hour or so for uh, question and answer interaction. Right? But you can stop me any time if you, you want any uh, clarification uh, or any question, OK? I used to talk uh, when I'm standing, but it looks like I have to <laughs> sit. Now, first, I, I just run you through a few milestones uh, in China. In 1978, uh, China started the economic reform, and that's the Deng Xiaoping's uh, initiative and, uh, for the economic reform. And then uh, when we get to 1994, and we have this uh, tax sharing 
system established. Also in the same year, and the Chinese government designated uh, the car industry as uh, one of the pillar industries of the national economy. Okay, I, I mentioned car because it's related to housing and the urban form uh, in China. Then in 1998, China uh, completed the housing reform and so moved to the uh, housing uh, provision from the welfare provision to the market provision. So, uh, in fact, China started housing reform in the 80s, but after a number of uh, reform uh, measures, finally in 1998, China decided that all housing uh, provision in the future would be provided uh, by the market. So that's uh, how we got the concept, which is called a commodity housing. So we go to the market to buy housing instead of waiting for your employer to allocate one housing unit to you as part of your compensation. Then in year 2004, the Chinese government designated the real estate sector as one of the uh, pillar industries uh, for the national uh, economy. So our pillar industries uh, have a few. Uh, we have a car, we have a housing, uh, suburbanization uh, start, even though the, uh, it looks uh, quite different from let's say Brisbane and cities in the uh, United States. But today, many Chinese households own car, and buying car is a part of the decision and when you have to make, uh, when you think about where to live, right? So uh, that's the uh, year 2004. Then year 2008, uh, the global financial uh, the crisis uh, started, and then the Chinese government decided uh, to rescue the economy by injecting uh, 4 trillion uh, RMB into the economy. But today we know much of this money actually uh, went to the real estate sector. And the Chinese economy was not so much uh, and, uh, uh, influenced by the uh, global financial crisis, mainly because of this uh, and, uh, stimulus package. But the, the consequences uh, become more and more uh, obvious today. And years ago, it may be a right decision, but today we think uh, and, and, uh, that there are some difficult conflict, uh, uh, consequences. Okay. Now, in year 2013, and the Chinese government initiate a new round of um, economic reform. And so we get to another milestone. And I just explained to uh, our colleague in the, in the Asian Institute, uh, the way to capitalize uh, this milestone is that uh, in China we feel, I mean, before year 2013, the Chinese reform agenda uh, was very much uh, uh, following Deng Xiaoping's uh, very practical uh, paradigm, uh, which is to fill the stone to cross the river. Uh, and that's a transition economy, that's how China uh, make a transition from the planned economy gradually to the market economy. But now we feel uh, the, the water, I mean, you are getting into the very deep part of the river. You no longer have the opportunity to fill the stone, so you have to build a bridge uh, to cross the river. So the uh, year 2013, and the new economic reform in China is to uh, uh, think about how to uh, build the kind of a fiscal system, and urban policy, housing policy that will carry China 
and maybe for the next uh, half century or so. So we are moving to a, a, a new uh, era uh, in terms of economic reform. Now, uh, one concept that's associated with it is the, the new normal, because China also finished the period of a very rapid economic growth. So now we are entering in a, a, a period of uh, economic growth at the growth rate uh, around 6% or so, and previously it's 9.9% and even and, uh, high up to 13 and 14% a year. And, but uh, that uh, kind of um, uh, growth uh, uh, momentum is over, so we have to uh, move to uh, uh, the new time. Now, uh, finally, uh, two years ago, um, the Chinese uh, uh, leader uh, initiate a new uh, housing policy direction. And so this is the uh, few milestones we have uh, more or less relating uh, to the housing sector. So um, when we look at the uh, urban housing, I think uh, and, uh, there is one capitalistic uh, in China. Now we have uh, commodity housing. And affordable housing is uh, a later concept. And when the government initiated the housing reform, then moved the provision of housing to the market. And all we have is commodity housing. If you need housing, you need to go to the market to buy. But um, this lasts for a while until like a year 2009 or year 2010, the government realized uh, commodity housing uh, could only uh, solve uh, part of the demand and those people who can afford. How about the people who couldn't afford the housing? So the Chinese government started the affordable housing program. Uh, I think it's, it started in the year 2007. So now we have an affordable housing program, very much subsidized uh, uh, by the government, and I will talk a bit about it later. But then we also have a very uh, a special animal in the block, and that's called a small property uh, right housing. I mean, in the international jargon, it's basically housing unit with incomplete uh, property right. And it's a bit different from the uh, favela in uh, Brazil, uh, different from the kampong in Indonesia, and different from slum in India. Right? Because of the Chinese small property right housing physically looks very much the same as this modern high-rise building. The only difference is that it is uh, built by the rural communities, rural collective, and sold to urban residents, which is prohibited by the Chinese land administration law. But somehow the government tolerated this kind of uh, uh, practice, and rhetorically, the government say this is not allowed. But in practice, it's like a, a bamboo shoot just coming out from uh, many localities. And so the, the amazing thing is in Shenzhen, in the, the booming city in southern China, and in fact, uh, and one third, over one third of the housing stock in the city of Shenzhen uh, are small property right housing. And, but today, I, our understanding about the small property right housing is not much about it, whether it's illegal or not. And in fact, we feel the law just uh, fell behind. Right? It's not uh, anything wrong about this kind of behavior. And, and that's our academic uh, uh, consideration. 
Okay, very quickly, uh, let's look at the uh, commodity uh, housing market uh, uh, growth. And we have the two diagrams and the sales in square meters and also the sales in uh, value. So if we look at the uh, blue bar and increase uh, 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 rapidly in terms of the size uh, over uh, the years from 1999 and to uh, year 2006 uh, uh, when we uh, get the uh, number. And so that's the, the market expansion uh, has been extensive and rapid. Now if we look at the housing uh, market price, in China um, the government uh, picked uh, uh, 70 cities as the sample and monitor the housing price, the average housing price, and publish the housing price index. It's a Chinese housing price index. So if you look at the official uh, number, you get that curve uh, published by the Chinese uh, uh, Bureau of uh, National uh, Statistics. And, but that's the average for 70 uh, selected cities in, uh, in a country. So that really doesn't mean a lot to you because the housing market are all localized. Now what the Lincoln Institute, I mean the, the, the PKU Center and Tsinghua University did was to use the methodology of Case and Shira. You know, Shira, Robert Shira from Yale University won the Nobel Prize, right? And part of his work with um, a chip case is to build up the so-called Case-Shira index and in order to detect whether there is a housing bubble. But then in the academic jargon, it's actually a hedonic price uh, model. And it's a uh, uh, price index that reflect the quality difference and location difference. Now we do it city by city. In our sample, we have uh, eight cities. And uh, in fact, from our uh, index, our index is much bigger than the national average because the, we can see this city, but also uh, the fluctuations uh, are quite different. You see Beijing and Shenzhen, Shenzhen is shooting up, while other major cities uh, and even though the growth rate has been impressive, but it's not as much as Beijing and Shenzhen. So, but in general, I mean, the, the, the impression we got is that uh, housing price has been uh, growing rapidly, much faster than GDP. Now, part of the housing price is land. Huh? It's also back to Henry George and, and, and Thomas Piketty. Now, uh, in China, we have a lot of discussion what uh, drove the commodity housing demand uh, since uh, 1998. Now, of course, we, we look at that uh, annual floor area sold uh, increased by over 10 times from 1998 to year 2016. And uh, rapid urbanization, rapid income growth in China, and this is the, 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 the usual factors. Right? And so uh, uh, that explains a lot of the an, uh, increase in the uh, housing market. But we also have a lot, uh, a few uh, the, the significant uh, unusual factors that may not be the case in other countries. And the first one is a pent-up demand uh, before 1998. And that time, I mean, we, we were in the planned economy. Maybe some households are rich enough uh, to consume more housing in uh, unit but they will not 
uh, able to do so because the housing was allocated by the government. So we had the pent up uh, demand. And then uh, we, uh, people start to uh, uh, purchase housing as the uh, investment. Now, why? Social security is a, a key issue. I mean, Australia is a welfare uh, country. I, if I live in Brisbane, I don't think my uh, uh, drive to buy more housing it would be strong, right? But in China, and uh, people uh, decide to buy house very much because they, they worry about the future. Our social security system, is, even though we comparing to a developing country at the same level of income, China's uh, social security system, particularly for the urban population, is good enough. Uh, but still, many people do not feel secure for the future. They worry about education costs, worry about pension, and uh, old age care, worry about um, uh, the, the, the health, uh, the medic, uh, I mean health problem. And so uh, uh, that's why people uh, save and invest and they invest housing, and because our stock market uh, is very risky, and then the Chinese commercial bank. I mean, if you put your money into the commercial bank, and the interest rate is determined by the government and not very much by the market, and so you are basically waiting to see your money, uh, the value of the money uh, eroding, and so, uh, and also the rental housing. Now, if you don't buy house. And you can have an alternative to rent. But in China, the rental housing uh, market is very poorly uh, regulated. And I guess in Brisbane, the rental market uh, is quite well regulated. And the tenants' rights uh, uh, is protected by, by law, so you can go into sign a contract. In China, I mean, we have not gotten to that point. If you rent a house, you can kick out uh, any time, and they can come back to you tomorrow and tell you, look, I mean, the price of a rent uh, go up, and if you don't pay, and you have to leave. And that's the kind of uh, experience for many tenants. So anyone who got money in the hand, or who has the ability to borrow, they go to buy the house, right? And finally, we have some very unique factor, like a mother-in-law factor, which I think you know already, because uh, you love at, at it. And we have more boys than girls in our society because of family planning policy. Right? I think now it's like 130 boys to 100 uh, girls. So for, for this cohort, the young cohort, you can imagine uh, the competition for, for bride is, will be uh, more and more intense. So the parent figured this out. Huh? <laughs> I guess this is a bit like a kangaroo. Huh? You, you know the biology very well. Huh? And so they decide to uh, buy the house for the boy so that the boy become more competitive. Uh, this, study, this study was published in the Journal of Political Economy. And the author is now the chief economist of the Asian Development Bank. Okay, they pick up the, 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 the data and that show uh, the housing price, uh, why the housing price, the housing demand uh, went up and this is a very significant explanatory uh, variable. So in our society, all sorts of strange things happen, but you can still explain it, right? And because uh, this is uh, uh, the reason of the, the past uh, policy. But now we, if we look at the Chinese uh, uh, the housing sector, in fact, I mean, 
we have a lot of uh, things to celebrate. Today, if we look at the uh, average uh, housing floor area uh, per capita in China, we actually uh, reached the level <coughs> higher than the uh, upper-middle uh, income country average. And we are, we are getting to the high-income country uh, level in China. I mean, this uh, uh, number uh, the, uh, was the number for uh, 2010. Today in China, in urban area, average uh, the, the housing floor area per capita is 35 square meters. Not bad, I mean, better than Japan, better than Hong Kong, better than Singapore, better than many in uh, EU countries. So that's the achievement. Of course, I mean, we have some vacancies uh, uh, also there, which may be accounted there. And so on average, we, we look okay. But once you disaggregate the situation, and you look different, and some people just own too much, and then many people do, uh, have nothing, right? And that's the uh, uh, key issue uh, in our society. Now I have to get to the land in order to explain uh, why our system uh, worked that way. In China, our uh, land management system is simple but also very unique. And we have urban land and rural land. Uh, by the constitution, uh, urban land is owned by the state. Okay? And rural land is owned by the village collective. Uh, then the tricks come from here. When city grow, uh, city need more land, only the state is given the power to expropriate the rural land and use the land to supply for urban development. So uh, it's like a, a compulsory uh, expropriation of land. Now uh, in uh, US, in Australia, in UK, you also have this uh, called eminent domain or a compulsory uh, purchase of land uh, from the private sector uh, to supply for, let's say, public purposes. So you have a procedure to go it, go for it. And, but in general, uh, when land is privately owned, the transaction of land and the change of land use from rural to urban really uh, fall into the private domain, is the transaction. But then the control is the land use control by the government. That's the planning. Yeah, that whether the change of land use uh, is uh, complying with the city planning, I and mean, that's the, and, uh, how the system works. Now in China, we have a six, uh, city planning. But because we don't have a private ownership of land, we have a rural and urban, and only the state has the right to convert the rural land into urban land. So the, when the state go to get the rural land to supply for urban uh, development, and the compulsory purchase, the price is based on the agriculture production value. So that's the original, the, the value of the original use, right? The UK system is, is the same. But in China, uh, this calculation is different from, uh, I think in Australia, it's basically market value, right? Mm -hmm. But in China, it's the government set the value. It's like a, they calculated the piece of land's uh, agriculture productivity in terms of value and times 30 years. That's the compensation for the farmer. Now, on the other hand, the city has many people moving to the city and need the land for development. So the government gets the rural land and service with infrastructure and sell the land use right. 
to the real estate sector for development. Overlight, because the reclassification of the land purpose from rural to urban and the price increased 10 times. Now, sometimes, I mean, the farmers may get reasonable compensation. If without the land conversion, the farmers just continue to do farming without a hope uh, to change the life. And, but then when they see the change of the price overnight, I mean, of course, they don't uh, feel good about it. And so that's why uh, in China, over the last um, 20 or uh, 30 years, and we have this uh, so-called land-based financing, uh, which is set up uh, by this kind of system. The, the constitution, the land administration um, uh, law, and the pricing, the pricing, uh, price differential uh, between the rural land and the urban land. So that creates the opportunity uh, for uh, land-based uh, uh, financing. Uh, so when the government sell the land use right to real estate uh, de uh, development, and it's called the land concession. The land concession and, uh, for uh, commercial land and residential land, and the concession and, uh, price is determined by the bidding. So the real estate developer will come to bid that piece of land, and because of the bidding, uh, the price is just uh, getting higher and higher. But on the other hand, and the city also need to supply the land for industry development. But that's the place where we have a price distortion. The industry uh, land price uh, is officially kept uh, low in order to compete to get the FDI, Australian business to China, right? Uh, FDI and also business from other parts of the country. Yeah? And so this is a, a mechanism of the land-based financing. The Chinese mayor sit there and think about what to do with the land. Now, the, the mayor would have a local tax revenue, and this part of the revenue is mainly for recurrent expenditure. In China, we say it's the, the, uh, the, the, the cost, to pay the cost of a meal. I mean, then after you pay all this and you, you don't have any more, then what happened to capital investment? So the mayor is looking at the, the, the land, okay, mobilize the land for financial resource to fund capital investment in infrastructure and urban development. Now the land is split into two parts, commercial and residential and industry. Industry land is mainly losing business. But then the mayor is thinking, well, if I provide a cheap land and attract FDI to my city or business investment to my city, I have more GDP, I have more employment. These are all my performance <coughs> indicators, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also have a local tax revenue because the Chinese tax system is a sharing tax sharing system. Part of the tax uh, from value-added tax uh, go to the local. And, and then there are some businesses uh, where the tax is all local. So the mayor can see that. Now you get the employment, you get the people, you get the household, you, need, you have a demand for real estate. That's where you supply the residential land and commercial land for development through the land concession. Now the supply is monopoly supply because only the state is controlling the uh, uh, size of the land supply there. So 
doesn't matter. I mean, the the price. Uh, if the yearly price is higher, the local government is happier. You are receiving in a lot of revenue. So this is the mechanism where the municipal government make a lot of money from commercial and residential land supply to cross-subsidize industry and land supply and also finance uh, infrastructure and urban development. Not only that, this is only part of the story because land becomes so variable and the Chinese local government can use the land as a collateral to go to the bank to borrow. Now this part is local debt. Uh, the Chinese local debt, local government debt mainly come from uh, this kind of uh, uh, mechanism. Okay. So let's uh, 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 take a look. And basically, uh, in practice, we have uh, uh, several uh, the, the, the players. We have a local government, and local government create an urban land reserve center, which basically go out to purchase land from the rural sector and supply it to to the urban sector. And then the local government also create a local government finance vehicle. That's called an Urban Development Investment Corp, UDIC, in China. And the government actually create created this kind of uh, uh, oh, sorry created this kind of organization in order to borrow because in the Chinese budget law uh, government local government uh, will not allow to borrow so the local government created a state-owned enterprise which is uh, governed by the commercial domain commercial law and they could borrow so they are actually the finance department of the local government, and but they could go go ahead to uh, to borrow. And when the government created this company, they give some land to this company as uh, asset, and this land could be used as a collateral to borrow from the commercial bank. So this is the way uh, local government raise funds. Now let's look at this uh, uh, the local revenue from both taxes and then the concession. Now, even though this is a national aggregate, but it could tell you the story. The blue bar uh, are the tax revenue from the tax sharing system. This will be all run off uh, after you pay for all the recurrent expenditure. And all the revenues from land concession are used for capital investment. So I guess in Brisbane, if let's say the annual uh, local government budget you have, if you have, let's say, 5% of your local budget that would be used for debt service and your finance look okay, 10% is much better. I don't think that you will go over 10% that would be used for uh, capital investment or debt service. Right? In China, over the last uh, 15 years or so, the red uh, bar, this is the land concession revenue, is about 50% of the tax revenue. And that's how we develop cities so fast uh, over the last 20 years. Many people say, wow, that's a miracle. It's so puzzling. How China and, uh, the, the find a way to do it? This is the, the trick. But of course, this is so only part of the story. Yeah? And because the red bar can be extended three more times through the local borrowing. Now, I mean, of course, today we worry about uh, the local debt. Right? 
this is just simply to show to you the price difference from uh, industry and uh, uh, residential uh, land. The, uh, the blue dot uh, correspond to the uh, red dot and for the uh, per capita disposable income. So I have 70 cities in this uh, figure, and each city got two dots uh, on the same level of disposable income. So one red, uh, one uh, blue. So you look at the cities across China, industry land uh, price remain quite low. It's just uh, under 1,000 yuan per square uh, meter. But look at the residential land. Uh, the, the, the highest one is Beijing. I mean, for the data I got, yeah, it got to the ceiling, okay? And so the, the bigger city where the housing market is very hot, the residential land is very, very high. So the top four is Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen. This is the top four in China. But that's the number for uh, year 2013. And then let's look at the, the, the local debt. It grew uh, rapidly. Uh, over time, and this is the and, 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 uh, scale in percentage of the GDP. Uh, so it's a, it's a part of the story. Now, um, also look into the, the tax on uh, land and property in China. You know, one thing is unique uh, in our uh, land and housing market is that we do not have uh, residential property tax. Yesterday, I learned from, from Professor uh, Roker and that the property tax in Brisbane is quite high. Huh? It's uh, over 5% of the, the value. Yeah, that's why I see the museum, I see the public transport, I see the very well paved road here. Everything looks great. Huh? <laughs> in, China, in China, we do not have a residential property tax. It's a mistake. Okay? The Lincoln Institute started to work with the Chinese government in the year around 2000. And the first piece of work with the Chinese government is the feasibility study for property tax. And then a recommendation for China is that China uh, have the uh, housing reform in 1998 that moved the uh, housing supply to commodity housing. And Lincoln Institute uh, joint study with the Chinese government in year 2003 recommend the government to implement property tax immediately. But year 2004, the Chinese government designated real estate sector as a pillar industry of the national economy. So they think, why put a tax like a brake on our vehicle? <laughs> now it's denied until today, when 90% of the urban households own a house, and no one wants to pay for the tax, right? And when you bought it, you, you, you did not assume that I need to pay tax. So today, the public resistance on the uh, introduction of the residential property uh, is very, very strong. I mean, for me, sentimentally, I don't want to pay, right? Uh, logically, I mean, we advise the government this is uh, necessary. Uh, but that's uh, the, the, what happened in China. But without the residential property tax, we do have uh, a few, a few items of uh, tax on land and on uh, 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 commercial properties. In fact, today, uh, the tax revenue uh, on land and properties uh, amount to uh, uh, like 2.6% of the uh, GDP. So that's not bad. I mean, when China eventually introduced the uh, residential property tax, 
and I think uh, we may be able to. Uh, uh, of course, I mean some of these texts has to be combined and then uh, uh, put it together as a, a, a residential property text. But if we if we do that, we may be able to come up with like three percent of the GDP uh, would become the uh, property tax revenue. So that's not bad, and I think Australia is maybe three to to four percent of the GDP. And but China is now desperately. Uh, need a new source of revenue for local government because the the land based uh, finance running run out of steam. You don't have so much land to play with anymore, right? And also the local debt uh, is a heavy burden. So the government is trying to uh, tame uh, the local debt. Okay, um, now we we run into uh, many legacy issues. One is the excessive supply uh, in the third or fourth tier cities because our macroeconomic policy uh, for the last 15 years is to drive the economy uh, using uh, the real estate sector as the engine. Right? So suddenly, you know, everyone thinks if you build more houses, I mean, it's, you would not go wrong because central government wants it. So, but in the uh, low-level cities, where the population are actually moving to the higher level cities, we see uh, excessive supply uh, in these uh, cities. Now, um, we also see a huge housing affordability issue. The price income ratios in, in the, uh, the, the top tier cities uh, is over 20. I mean, there are calculations that say Beijing is 40. And, but I think uh, that uh, the reasonable guess would be somewhere around uh, 30, which means I mean, you have to work for 30 years without spend a penny of your money in order to buy a uh, housing unit adequate uh, for your uh, family. Okay? So that's uh, the price-income ratio. So we compare that with China, and the variation is very big. And so today, uh, in the top city, and, and the housing is so expensive, and it's, a, it's a basically a, a drive, driver for the social divide. And it's the, like a two class of a Chinese citizen in, in the big cities. One is the people who, uh, who, who uh, own a house, another are the young people who try to work hard in order to uh, uh, own a house. So that's a huge problem. I think that this is happening in Sydney. Huh? And, and then we, uh, we also I mean, tie the housing market too much with our economy. And today, uh, if the housing market is cooled down, and our economy is also cooled down, so we are now in a very difficult uh, balance act. On one hand, the government thinks that the economic growth is the fund foundation for social <coughs> stability. So they don't want the economy to be too cool, so they still want the housing sector to move, but on the other hand, we have so much baggage already uh, for the housing market, so it becomes uh, quite uh, uh, difficult uh, in the next step of uh, uh, housing reform. And finally, the bank loan to the real estate developers and the, the plenty a lot, and so it's uh, uh, also our uh, debt issue, and we have a local debt issue, we also have a corporate debt issue and the corporate debt a lot, uh, actually, from the real estate uh, sector. 
Now, uh, now let, let me get to the affordable housing uh, quickly. Uh, okay. Uh, we, uh, we have actually a very sizable affordable housing uh, program in China. Because our economy, even though moved to the market, but the central government command has been very strong. So in the last five-year plan, the government set the directive to local government that for China, the total affordable housing program should supply 30 million units in cities. Okay, So suddenly, cities just build a lot of housing. Now, we all know affordable housing sometimes is very self-defeating. I mean, the really needed, I mean, the people who really need the affordable housing would not get it, okay? And the people who got it may not need the housing, okay? The key issue is the hukou, because in the biggest city where the people can afford the housing are the cities with a lot of migrant neighbors, like Shenzhen, Shanghai, and Beijing. And those migrant neighbors do not have the hukou in the city. So they could not assess the public services provided by the city. So we supply a lot of affordable housing, and the migrant neighbors have a very difficult access to it. And so that's uh, the problem. Now today, China is trying to reform the affordable housing. And so hopefully one day we could uh, subsidize the uh, housing through uh, financial support instead of giving you uh, a unit. Uh, to use and then ban the sale of the housing unit for the next five or ten years or so, and that make the whole administration cost uh, uh, very high. But at the moment, I mean, we would not be able to do the financial subsidy uh, very well because we don't have this national system to monitor the personal or household income yet. Okay, um, we have uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, supply. And I said uh, and, uh, migrant workers uh, have a, a problem to access uh, the housing unit. And then look at the land. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just wondering, what kind of percentages to market rate do does the China offer for affordable housing for renters and for selling units to low-income households? That's you mean the price difference? Yeah, the price difference. To oh, that, uh, well, uh, for those who have urban hukou, and they have eligibility, and the government actually allocate the housing to them at the price, not of the land price. You know, today in China, if you buy a house in Beijing, I mean, like let's say 100,000 Chinese yuan per square meter, actually I think 70% is the land. Right? So if you take that away, and then uh, it becomes much more affordable uh, to the low-income people. Yeah. Okay. Now, public rental housing is a new phenomenon. In the past, the government did not build the housing for uh, public rental. And today, we, we, we move to that uh, direction. And now, other problem is that the government want to make a lot of money from land. So when they provide affordable housing, they select the land uh, with very low value. So they build. But then the problem is that I mean, this is the location far away from job, from urban services. So people do not want to uh, uh, live there, so that's also uh, uh, the, the uh, problem. Uh, we also have the uh, incentive issues, and the targeting is uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the main issue. 
And also we have uh, some inclusionary housing, uh, which is like a cross subsidy from the commodity housing to social housing, which now causes some um, uh, debate and concern uh, in the society because those people who bought the commodity housing realize that they are actually subsidizing and the other guys who live nearby. And so there are some property right uh, the issue. Now, uh, small property rights uh, housing, I have uh, told you about uh, the reason why this come out. Because, I mean, in city, when the housing price is so high, there are so many migrant workers who want to get a house. So the nearby community, rural communities use their rural land to build a house and sell it to uh, the migrant uh, laborers and even urban uh, residents. And the title is from the uh, village, not from the uh, uh, government. So that's uh, uh, why we call the small property right. And government is large, it's big. Huh? So the community is small. And this is a bit of a, uh, informal uh, uh, housing. But today, um, and, and we, we consider how to deal with this issue in the future. The key is whether the China, Chinese uh, reform will lift uh, the, uh, the legal barrier so that the farmers can supply their land to urban development without going through the state monopoly of land conversion. So that's the key. Okay. Um, now, what are we doing in China in terms of reform? In terms of land, the broader direction is to give the villages land development right. So uh, today, villages does not have a development right because it's all done by the government. It's a compulsory purchase. And so in the future, and in fact we have a pilot experiment where the villages can supply their land directly to developer without going through the government. It's already have happening in, in a number of localities. These are the pilot uh, demonstrations. Now Hukou, we are now facing out Hukou. In fact, at the lowest level cities, Hukou doesn't matter. Because... Oh, okay, sorry. I thought everyone knows uh, Hukou. Hukou is a uh, residential registration. If you are a rural uh, uh, population, uh, you are a rural resident, you get a rural uh, residential registration. If you were born in the city or you get the urban job, you get an urban residential registration. Now, the, this is, if for just personal management, it's okay, but it's tied with a public welfare provision. So if you don't have the urban hukou, you cannot enjoy the urban public services provided to the urban hukou holder, like affordable housing. So that's why we say in China we have one nation and two citizens, uh, two citizenships. If, uh, if English is a resident of hukou, hmm? Yeah, we, I think we, we, we could say so. Yeah. yeah, it's in the book. And that identify you whether you hold the rural status or urban status. Yeah. Yes. We call residential book. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. And presidency's PhD thesis was about facing out of the hukou. So I guess China is moving to that direction. And, and But then it's, it's difficult for the major cities because the welfare pro program means a lot. But when you get to the lowest level cities, I mean, public service is very little. So Google doesn't really mean in, uh, much in China. And municipal finance, I mean, we rely on land-based financing so much. Now the land-based financing run out of steam. So the next question is, uh, and, uh, what's the main source of uh, uh, local revenue? So today we are thinking about uh, uh, property tax and also reform 
on the land concession fee uh, system. And we have a number of uh, challenges uh, that remain. And the first thing is how to control housing price escalation. I mean, to every day in newspaper, we look at the housing price is still going up. And the second is for the lower level city and how to absorb the excessive housing supply and how to deal with the small property right uh, housing and also how to manage the bank loan uh, default risk if uh, one day and our housing uh, market uh, collapse. And presidency uh, say a very famous word, uh, housing is for occupancy, not for speculation, and that set the direction for housing reform in China. And so the new policy direction, and first of all, we recognize the housing market are localized. So in the future, uh, local government is the primary, uh, take the primary responsibility for the uh, stabilization of the uh, housing market. In the past, it's only central government. So when Beijing is sick, the whole country is having the medicine. And that's our problem. But today, the central government say enough. Uh, local government take care of this because every market is different. And then we also encourage multiple interventions, including, let's say, price control, sales control, public rental housing provision or so. Our center is monitoring this kind of individual city intervention to see how whether it's more effective than the previous uh, macroeconomic control uh, from the central government. And we also allow the pilot experiment for urban villages to construct the public rental housing. And so uh, that may uh, alleviate the affordability issue in China. And finally, the property tax law. And it is still in the process of drafting. And we hope the People's Congress will review and uh, pass the, the law next year. And then perhaps in the next 10 years, I mean, Chinese the local government build the capacity to uh, tax one property, and we will have a, a, another source of a, a local revenue. So my uh, presentation will end here, and I look forward to uh, discussing with you. Thank you. Allow starting from me here. Okay. Um, you know, we don't talk about the so-called small property uh, uh, rights, housing. Yeah. I think the concept of ownership, property ownership in China, I think is fundamentally different with that in the West because those property owners, they don't own the land, right? They, no. Nominally, they just for the property, not the land. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the point to levy the property tax when people don't own the land. Mm -hmm. What's okay. the legal rationale behind that? Okay. Yeah, this is a, a very uh, common uh, question uh, in China. And if you can recall uh, the, the, and, uh, let me think, the, the garden cities of tomorrow, uh, if you are specialized in city planning, and uh, you may know the famous book uh, by uh, uh, Howard. Uh, of UK, and if you visit UK and you went to, if you visit uh, the city of uh, Welwyn, this is a garden city of uh, uh, England. The land is a public home, houses privately owned. Okay. The land is owned by the corporator that built the city, and they have a property tax. In Hong Kong, 
land is owned by the government and residential property owned by private uh, people and they have uh, property tax, Singapore same. Right? And in the Netherlands, and much of Amsterdam, the land is owned by the municipal government because the municipal government created the land for the city. But you build a lot of property there. So property tax is imposed in many cases around the world where the land is publicly owned. But property tax is not really about to tax the land. It's about, uh, uh, because let's look at the, the property value. There are four components in the property value. One is the inherent value of the land. I mean, without anything, I mean, you can sit there and have uh, the sunbathing, and that's the, in, uh, I mean, the, what we call the uh, inherent uh, value of the land. If you build a structure there, the value of that landed property increase, okay? If the government build the highway, provide the public service around your property, your value continue to go up. And then if people move around like you and they, 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 they want to live next to you, your property also will go up. So property tax, the rational is to recoup the value increase that you get from the public service. Otherwise, I mean, think about it. If a government does not provide the service, you hire someone else to pay the service, uh, to provide the public service to you. So that's the rational for uh, property tax. It's not that because you own the property, the government take the money from you. So that's the way we explain to the Chinese uh, citizens why property tax is necessary, why property tax is reasonable in China. Canberra has uh, gone over the land. Yeah. Another case, yeah. I, in a sense, is something that you sort of wanted to allude to, but you did sort of focus on it, yeah. In a sense that... Uh, People buy houses because of investments, sort of. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's something connected with the financial reform, right? Because yeah, so, in the sense that you cannot really reform the housing uh, sector really without paying attention to the financial reform, so that you know people will not. Because as you said, you know, if the hukou is relaxed, you will actually would increase the, mm -hmm. the demand. Yeah. Right. So you really need the, the financial reform, and also on top of that is also transport. In a sense that, you know, you, you alluded to the fact that the houses are people reluctant to buy because they're too far away and so yeah. And China is a very efficient, uh, fast train, you know, mm -hmm. but still it uses a lot of those old and slow train. So in a sense, I, I can see that both financial reform and also the transport yeah. would be a solutions to, to this. Exactly. And financial reform in China uh, today, that's what I would consider is the last uh, the, the most difficult thing to do. Uh, and in our financial system is very big in terms of commercial banking. And the second is insurance. And the smallest one is the stock market. And the US system, stock market is the biggest insurance and then commercial banking. And and our stock markets look terrible. And, and, and I think that's uh, Someone yesterday was comparing like 10 years ago, this is like 3,000, and today is, is another, is just around 3,000 in terms of the, the stock market index. And then while Australia is uh, continue to go up, and so it's very risky to go to the stock market, and you have to have a lot of uh, experience, and perhaps even better to have some inside information. Right? And then commercial bank, and I just mentioned about it, 
And our interest rate is determined by the central bank with a bit of a variation in order to capture a bit of a market uh, competition. And Chinese yuan is not internationalized yet, not fully internationalized yet. If you can find a way to turn your money into a foreign currency, that's where you see those folks buying house in Sydney or other places. Right? And some state enterprises get their money to buy property uh, in China. So the, the impact of the housing sector on our real economy is, is, is very detrimental. We have uh, stories about a major corporate work very high in a year. The profit margin is that little bit. And then some uh, uh, corporate got low, I mean the manufacturing industry got low profit. But it's, they were lucky to buy some property years ago. And then in order to show some, property, uh, show some profit, they showed uh, a few housing uh, unit to the market and they, uh, their profit looked good. So I mean, for the uh, manufacturing industry, if you have a capital, you don't want to invest for R&D, you don't want to expand your service, and all what you want to do is to go for the speculation. So the bubble story, I mean, starting from the, the Dutch uh, tulip market, and let's say the U.S., Florida, and then the market, all these things are happening in China today. So financial sector reform is the key. And the second thing is the social security. People have this incentive to buy more housing because they think, at least I got the real things in my hand. And China is a big country, and urbanization continues. So people just use this kind of basic judgment. Uh, to go for the, for the housing. But in the back of their mind, they were thinking about uh, an, uh, retirement, thinking about medical care, thinking about the uh, children's education. Okay, uh, Dr. Liu, yeah. um, the graphs are showing that the housing prices in China yeah. are basically almost uh, you know, reaching the city. Uh -huh. Do you think, you know, some people, of course, I'm not one of those speculating, yeah. <laughs> but in the next 20 years, this would be sustainable? Do you think the bubble will burst? Um, well, this is a question that uh, no answer. And, but I would say the key is to look at the uh, housing affordability index. I mean, when the, uh, the uh, price income ratio reach, uh, let's say, 30 or 40, you know the system must be wrong. So back to Schiller's uh, theory. Okay? And he just said, look, I mean, if the housing price uh, uh, run up so much uh, uh, of mark comparing to the uh, growth of the real economy, you have to worry about something, right? So in China, the problems that we have been in, uh, running up for quite a few years. And I, you know, even though the government say uh, the, the, we, we have the means to control, but the worry is still fundamental and it's there. Maybe it's still going up. Now, today in China, and I was talking to my colleague yesterday, and the Chinese cities, if you look at the urban system, we have a global cities. Beijing, Shanghai, and Shenzhen are global cities because it's like at the top of the production and network of the world. So basically, the world is coming to buy Beijing, to buy Shenzhen, to buy Shanghai. Just like the world is coming to buy uh, London and Sydney, right? So these are the world cities. And we also have national cities. So anyone in China who 
have enough saving and have access to bank loan. They go to buy. They don't buy their hometown because they know their hometown the price will not go up. So they go to buy the the the, the, the market, the national cities like let's say Hangzhou and those uh, second uh, tier cities. So that's why I mean in in the uh, housing market, depending on the capital of the city, and you can see the two uh, uh, purposes are actually interacting for investment purpose which uh, attract a lot of uh, people come to buy. And then you have the local people, the poor guys. I mean, those uh, guys who do not have the housing yet. Yeah. Right? So they just see the prices going up. It's like the city has nothing to do with me. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the city for other folks. Yeah. Uh, and Brisbane may, may run into this issue. I mean, it's so livable here. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I have a quick question. They're buying into a depreciating asset. So how long are these buildings, what's their durability, what's their lifespan? Yeah, um, well, housing structure, of course, is a depreciate uh, over time. But the, 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 the housing value is mainly much of the, the, the land, right? You can replace the, the structure uh, later. But in the Chinese system, land is not privately owned. Mm -hmm. So um, the moment when the real estate developer get the piece of land for housing development, and the concession with the government for residential land for 70 years start. Okay. So it takes a few years for the real estate developer to build the, uh, the, the, the mm -hmm. neighborhood, yep. and then uh, people come to buy the house and they stay there, and they may have uh, 65 more years there. Okay. Now, the uh, Chinese uh, commodity housing market started just about 20 years ago. So most of us uh, live in the house uh, where we have, uh, let's say, 40 or 50 years uh, to go before the termination of the um, uh, leasing. Okay? So most people will not see it. So many people do not uh, worry about it uh, so much. But for the government, I mean, people now demand some clarity from the government. Yeah. So actually, last year, the government said when the 70 years is up, it's automatic extension, unless the government find that land should be used for other purposes. But what the government didn't say is that whether the automatic extension uh, is associated with another uh, charge on the land concession. <laughs> <laughs> Our advice to the government is that when you get to that point, turn it into property tax. Uh, today, the land concession payment is a one-time payment. We pay it for 70 years. What is that? It's not property tax. It's rent for 70 years. So when you get to that point, you turn it into annual rent. But property tax, I mean, you can put in property tax, combine with annual rent, and you say this is a property tax. So that's the Hong Kong system. In terms of the diver divergence of tier one, two, and three and four mm -hmm. markets, yeah. What could be the possible, sensible policy to address the pricing issue? Well, actually, I don't worry so much about the third tier and the fourth tier market, in the sense that you look at the, the age profile of the Chinese. Uh, many of the first generation of migrants reach the age of 50 and 60. They are returning. Okay? These are the people who are returned who, may, who would not be able to live in the city because the cost of living is so high and they don't have the uh, government-provided uh, social security. They have the rural social security. So they will move back 
to their uh, the, the, the rural area. But I mean, Chinese rural many villages are dying because people are, are, are moving to the city. So for these people who want to come back, they are actually buying house in the small town in the city that's closest to their local. These are the third and fourth tier city. So the inventory will eventually absorb mainly by the first generation of migrants who decide to return. And the, the only problem is that we waste a lot of opportunity costs because you build it and it takes another five years before you can sell it. I mean, it's a loss for real estate developer. But then, I mean, in, uh, the, the, I, I would think this uh, market is going to, uh, to be okay. Now, the key problem is still the uh, price increase in the first tier market. But essentially, this is the time, uh, the race against time, because on one hand, this stock, the housing stock, they are built on debt. And now we are re relying on the older generation of migrants turning back and buy the property. So, it's, uh, you know, the, the banks will be shouldering most of the risks. Not the bank, I mean, you know, the, the, the physical policy. <laughs> yeah. Your bank is a state-owned, right? How, yes, the, how the bank is shown yeah, yeah, so yeah, by, yeah. by the end of the day, it's yeah. the central government, central bank. Right? Yeah. The yeah. Chinese government, I mean, through the, and, uh, the, the printing um, uh, of currencies, and there are many ways uh, yeah, to handle the, it. Yeah. yeah, that's the issue. I think yeah. one of the major demand for housing is that it's, it's about money supply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a big chunk of it is from the yeah. excessive exactly. money supply yeah. Yeah, in the last yeah. decade. Yeah, it, it, this is a, a one of the the major academic argument and also mm -hmm. consensus mm -hmm. that the money supply is uh, one of the key reasons and that fuel the Chinese housing market. But what's the purpose behind? Right? The government want full employment, and then you want the, the uh, economic growth to maintain the employment, because employment is so important for social stability. And I uh, ho hope China can really go through this balance act and eventually we can weather through uh, this uh, crisis. I think the best hope today is that the sense of crisis in China is very strong. So the from the government, I mean, it's not like, let's say, everyone think, oh, we don't have a problem. Maybe in terms of new topic, the government would say, we are okay. But I mean, as far as I know, everyone is worrying about the risk. And so and with this kind of concern, then you see the hope. Uh, yeah. But still, the risk is high. Mm -hmm. Could you discuss a little bit about the housing system by real estate agents? Uh, how, I mean, very big companies like Wanko, mm -hmm. Kaiser, mm -hmm. consumer, mm -hmm. government policy. And, I mean, when we discuss fashion, fashion system, well, the Chinese uh, real estate sector, I mean, we, we, today we have uh, like 20,000 uh, real estate developers uh, still active, yeah, but if you look at the statistics, it's like uh, uh, 89,000, but many of them are not uh, active anymore. And most of our real estate uh, developers are very big. Uh, I live in the U.S. for many years. I, I could tell, I mean, some developers just family run, right? A few people, and they build one house in a year. 
And on average, the Chinese real estate companies build 1,000 units a year, on average. So for one car and those big guys, they build maybe 300,000 a year. Yeah, very big. And they cover the entire commercial and residential sector. So they build hotel, they build a community, and they in, engage in, in a comprehensive urban redevelopment, and urban development, a lot of a big project. And that's how the uh, uh, housing sector look like. Now what's behind it is that, you know, the, uh, the finance, yeah. right? And so, uh, Wanda, I mean, we have a lot of news about Wanda for the last uh, uh, the, the, the few months. Yeah, I mean, they, they basically have the whole national operation and they are moving to other countries like Spain and other places because they are so financially powerful. And the, the question is, isn't it, how smart they manage their debt, right? And also, it really depends on the market. Now, the Chinese real estate market, uh, one thing that's quite smart is the pre-sale. Uh, um, you don't buy the thing that's right already finished uh, in front of you. You go to see the model, and then you decide whether you want to buy. You sign the contract, you put in the down payment, and then you go to get a, a mortgage from the bank. Now the real estate developer get your down payment to finance uh, the construction. So in that sense, I mean the uh, uh, the, uh, the operation is uh, quite efficient from the. And, uh, the, the perspective of the real estate developer. But real estate developer, uh, developers still borrow a lot of uh, bank money in order to finish the work. Yeah. Yeah? And sometimes, I mean, uh, they borrow the money in order to bid the land. So they are very much indebted when they, after they, they get the piece of land. So if they build a house and suddenly the market cools down, and then that's a, that's a disaster, real disaster. And people worry about this, and, but today uh, it's not happening yet, fortunately. So these, these big uh, companies like one called one company, yeah. would be quite interested in like, your think tanks to the government, I mean your policy to the government. Mm -hmm. So they would have their lobby, I mean to, I mean like they would set up some foundation, mm -hmm. I mean to sponsor research. Yeah, 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 they have. And then, yeah. and then they would affect the Well, the phenomenon is that, I mean, at least for the last 20 years, if you go to Chinese city, you ask the mayor who's your best friend, real estate developer. Yeah, of course, eh? because the city rely on them for real estate development. So the real estate developer influences city planning, 
influence the mayor's decision for land supply, influence the expectation of the mayors and real estate developers say, look, I mean, our city is great. It's going to be an international global city. It's going to be the national financial center or whatever. So city, the mayors lead them to do the work, right? So that's where the moral hazard came. But our center stay away from real estate. <laughs> <laughs> This kind of mechanism may really work. I mean, just as our story tell. And but then the question is, uh, and uh, you may just uh, run very thin. And then once the we say, I mean, when the tide uh, retreat, and you see who's naked, <coughs> and that's uh, and uh, that that's the world to characterize the the current situation. Yeah, simple. In a sense, because land is so expensive. So in the sense that what did uh, any developer would do is go up as high as possible and also a lot of value in. And I noticed that in, uh, I don't know, second or third tier, third tier cities like Shizhou, for example, it seems a lot of uh, very nicely uh, built apartments, but empty, you know? Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, uh, Beijing less so, uh, but also we have uh, shopping malls who are mm -hmm. quite, quite empty. Yeah. So it, it, in a sense, that perhaps it's not so much the, the sector is that is, you know, you know, like how say people say, oh, who invested? It's more like the type of investment. So, the, you know, the, in a sense, the incentives uh, are there mm -hmm. to build uh, non-social housing. Mm -hmm. uh, social housing, uh, by definition, low value add yeah. to the land. Yeah, they so, I'm just wondering home. whether the government has mm -hmm. think of this. Uh, this, this well, the, the vacancies you see, and of course, the two parts of the story. One part is that many households just want to, when they have a saving, when they have money, or if they can borrow money, they want to buy a house under their name, so one day they can handle the social security, okay, and they can, and, uh, they believe this might be the best way to go against uh, inflation, right, and keep value. So this is one part of the story. And the second part is on the supply side. Many real estate developers, I mean, when they go to bid the land for real estate development, they will think in Chinese economy will continue to grow 10% per year. Remember, I mean, we turned into new normal just two years ago. <laughs> And so before that, many real estate developers just do not doubt a bit. They think, okay, Chinese economy is going so rapidly, and there is uh, nothing wrong if you invest uh, the, the more. But the economy, the economic growth rate is really uh, the driver. Right? People get more money, so they go to buy more, and the farmers uh, would be dragged in, I mean, they would be pulled into the cities if the urban economy uh, grow fast. And, but then the decision was made in the past when people still make that kind of assumption. But today we are in the new normal, which means 6% or even lower per year GDP growth. And comparing to 10%, that's different world. So you have lower, lower quality housing rather than the, you know, what I normally see, like the big cities or even the small cities. Like no, that's a, the Chinese housing in general, I mean, uh, in good quality, because the quality control uh, by the government, is, it, it, it works. And of course, there will be corruption, 
right? And <coughs> even let's say the local government who check the, the quality of the house and collude with the real estate developer, this kind of thing happen. But in general, and the, the quality check, I mean the Chinese uh, and the, the, the housing, the building code uh, is enforced quite strongly. And I would also, uh, of course, I mean some real estate developer may think of, uh, in, in, in down, down time, we may build a house uh, with a lower quality so people can afford. And that, that happened. I mean, the market is adjusting to that because now and, uh, the, the people who lead the house are the people uh, who have affordability issue. So we may build a smaller house. Uh, you may build a house uh, with less uh, fancy stuff. And that's, that's my point. That yeah. that sense, I'm not worried about the, the building quality yeah. I'm talking uh -huh. about. Yeah. Luxury. Yeah. Well, it's, what it, I, what it, I observe it happened. that place like Shijou is not a big yeah. city, mm -hmm. but it's a lot of uh, empty apartments. Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. And very, not very luxurious looking. Not, mm -hmm. I mean, much better than my house. So most uh -huh. people yeah. have yeah. it. Yeah. And you're wondering, you know, what, what, what's the the motivation, you know, this well, they overbuilt. Yeah, oh, no, just overbuilt. This the quality. So I was just thinking because of the of the land being expensive, so the developer will want to go as high as possible and as you know as much value as possible, put it on the fancy stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's uh, the well, that's uh, that uh, that that happened in the time when the the demand is really uh, good. Yeah, but also we have uh, we have a city planning that may not allow the real estate developer to build too high because the floor area ratio is a planned uh, parameter and it's difficult for a, a real estate developer to exceed the, the floor area ratio. Most housing sales in Australia are um, second, third, fourth, fifth hand houses. That is, they're not new. Um, how in China do you you talk about the role of the real estate developer. Yeah. That's purchasing first-hand housing, new houses. Mm -hmm. But is, how is um, second-hand second market? Yeah, very active in China. But today in China, the second-hand market, if you live in the city, you hold the house. When you see the prices going up, I mean, you don't sell unless you really need the money, okay? So those, uh, uh, some people sell because they want to buy a bigger house. So it's, it's, it's basically the moving up process. So the second-hand market is, uh, is active, and mainly because uh, the current occupants want to get a better house. And so they release the older one. And then maybe it's the enterprise, and, uh, and it's in short money, and they sell the house. We have many private businessmen and that, uh, who bought a, a few houses just to go against the downtime. Even in the neighborhood where I live, I mean, where we, I, I know a few uh, miners, I mean, the mining in uh, the, the, the business the people who bought the house in Beijing. I mean, they are from Shanxi province. And they, they sold the house. I mean, their business is run into trouble. And their finance is in trouble. They sell the house uh, which they bought. So it's just like a hedge uh, for them. Smart enough, I mean, 10 years ago, they did. They made that kind of decision, but that's how the uh, second-hand market uh, is working. So do you have real estate agents? Real yeah, estate yeah, we do. We have a real estate agents, and real estate agent uh, business is big. We have appraisers, and I mean all sorts of things are there. Okay. And in terms of the leasing of the land, do you only get the remaining? 
Today is like a 50 years. Uh, we still have like a 50 years to go on average. Last question, why? Oh, uh, I'm a bit concerned about the 70-year limit on things. Mm -hmm. Now, talking about that second-hand housing market, um, does the second buyer inherit the limit? Yeah. Or it restarts? <coughs> yeah, it inherited the, the, the inherited limit. So it's shorter lifespan. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you envisage a time bomb if policy doesn't clarify whether there's a charge at the 70-year limit uh, expiry date? Um, and then with China's overall population not really increasing as fast as before, the overall oversupply in major cities and so on, do you see a crash in, say, 40, 50 years? Um, well, I mean, 40 and 50 years. When the 70-year limit starts to kick in. See, today the smart thing the government did, which has a bit of a... Uh, relationship with the work uh, our center did was to advise the government to delegate the responsibility to local government. It's basically a risk-sharing mechanism. And if, let's say, the central government continue to uh, regulate the housing market through the central command, that will happen. Okay. Now today, the Chinese local government are learning uh, to manage their uh, local housing market. In the future, my sense is that maybe one or two city, or a few city, or a dozen of city may run into a, a crash, but not the whole country. How long are the mortgages? The mortgages, um, you uh, we have like a thirty years. So yeah. it's, it's thirty years. So in twenty years' time, are the banks mm -hmm. going to lend on a mortgage to a yeah. property that the lease isn't yeah. as long? Twenty as years left. One thing China is different from the U.S. I don't know uh, uh, how it works in, in Australia. In the U.S., people buy house, okay, when they own the housing property, they spend a lot of uh, the buying things with their credit card. Now, that's not the behavior in China. You know, the Chinese, Chinese people buy the house, they have a job, they can pay, they, uh, they can repay. Now, today in China, the default, default rate is very, very low. Yeah, but the question is, will the bank still keep lending? Uh, seeing there's only a few years left. Because there's a the higher risk. Oh, you, you are talking about that. Yeah, okay. In three uh, years' time, there's only 10 mm -hmm. years left in the life of the, the housing lease. And so, they've got a mortgage for 30 years. Yeah, they will. But did you say, Dr. Liu, that they will have an extension of that later? Yeah, that it's automatic extension. It's already with in a, policy. With a big chunk of money to pay. No, no, no. That, uh, the government has not clarified yet. Yeah. Okay, but one thing is quite certain that the government is not going to impose a one-time payment. That would be pain to anyone. Yeah. See, the, the Chinese government, to some extent, is very rational. If uh, if one policy is going to hit the most people, and uh, they would rather change the law, change the regulation, yeah. and that's the practical part of it. And but the problem is that in the past, when we start to uh, move to the market, all these issues were not really considered. That's why that's the feeling the stone you know, to cross the river. So today, I mean, all these issues come up. So the government is now trying to des design a new policy framework to handle all these issues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no,
Yeah. All right. Things on other countries is worthless. I haven't heard of any place I think whereby they did not review the uh, the list. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Quite, quite a lot. Just in terms of behavioral economics or behavioral finance, whatever. Uh, is this something that is that bothers the, the market? You know, this particular issue. Is it something in the psychology of the market that this particular you know uh, lease expiring? Is that something that we really kind of a uh, uh, major factor, but is the market, the psychology of the market. Uh, actually, it happened uh, two years ago. Uh, you know, uh, when when China started the land uh, concession, right, the activities started before the government uh, established the regulation. Residential land for seventy years, industry land fifty years, and commercial land for forty years. Right? We have a locality that started the practice before the government. So the local government that time just uh, used the, 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 the brain and determined 20 years. That happened in Zhejiang province. So this 20 years uh, was up to termination last year, uh, the, uh, a year ago. And suddenly the whole country realized this issue, termination. So even though most of the people, when I look, I mean, we started uh, the, this housing, in, uh, I mean, the marketization of housing is 1998. Uh, people start to buy housing is like uh, after year 2004. So most people still have like 50 years uh, uh, to go. But because of the incidents in Zhejiang province, the whole country come to talk about it, and the government react. So after a, a long pause, the government tell it's going to be automatic turn, uh, uh, extension, but the government still not, uh, did not say uh, whether there will be a one-time uh, charge or lock. But you know, uh, if you have a bit of a faith on the communist party, on their <laughs> practice, uh, I mean, uh, uh, pragmatism, and I'm sure, I mean, it's like a suicide if you want to do that, right? And that's not possible. And so uh, uh, today we are, we actually uh, uh, thinking about uh, uh, what should be the best way to do. Now, when you get to the 70 years and you turn it into uh, public rent and property tax. And one more step for second-hand transaction. We think it's actually a good idea. Good idea. By the time when you have the second-hand uh, purchase, you start to pay property tax. Yes. Yeah, so the phasing out will start early. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's our, uh, our recommendation. And it's in draft. And we are going to uh, uh, finalize that and share that with the government. Thank you, Mr. Ipswich. <laughs> <laughs> you have a house. Huh? Okay, that's it for today. Um, please join me. Thank you.